You're listening to the Formation Church Podcast. Formation exists to be a safe place for hurting people to find healing relationship with Jesus. For more information about the ministry of Formation in Salt Lake City, Utah, visit our website at formationslc.com. Well, I want to start this morning by talking about the importance of discerning the season that you're in, discerning the season that you're in. One of my favorite things about living in Salt Lake is that we have four very distinct and also pretty evenly distributed seasons. When we lived in Chicago, the seasons were far more lopsided. So there was like three months of summer, one week of both fall and spring, and then like 96 months of winter. And it just felt like it was never going to end. And it's, it's all joking aside, so critical to discern the season that you're in because if you misread or you resist the season that God actually has you in, you put your health in all of its forms at risk. And so I want you to think again as we start here about the seasons of the year. Uh, One of my favorite things about our home that we live in now is that we've got this uh, deck with a comfortable little sitting area just off to the side of our house. And this space is especially important to me because of the four homes that Tammy and I have lived in in the last 18 years that we've been married, we have never, this is the first time we've ever had an outdoor space that is even remotely private and usable. In Chicago, we had this unusable backyard that every time it rained, it turned into a swamp, like two feet of flooding sometimes is terrible. In North Carolina, we had this grassless backyard at the bottom of a hill that that was overlooked by neighbors who also went to our church, and it was just, they hosted a small group in their backyard. It was just all kinds of awkward. Uh, Our townhome here, we had this tiny little porch that looked uh, directly into our neighbor's kitchen and was also like almost close enough to touch their townhome. So just no privacy whatsoever. So now we finally have this space that is comfortable and private. And so when the season is warm, it is by far my favorite place to sit in the morning and to read and to pray. It's comfortable. It's quiet. Something about it feels very sacred to me as long as the season is warm. But you try to sit out there on some winter morning, and that's a really quick way to end up in the ER. Why? Because it's the wrong season for that. And so my point is, it's vital to both discern and to embrace the season that you are in. And that principle applies to far more than just weather. Because as we come back to Ecclesiastes this morning, the teacher who is narrating this book tells us that life is all about seasons. Life stages that we go through are seasons. Jobs, for the most part, are for a season. Many relationships in our lives are for a season. And within these kind of larger seasons that we all experience are almost countless micro-seasons of various kinds. And, and, And just like the seasons that mark the calendar, the seasons of our lives are always changing. But the problem is we are prone to both misread and to resist the season that we're in. And so what happens is it ends up being like we're walking through a proverbial snowstorm wearing sandals and a swimsuit. Misreading and resisting the season of life that we're actually in, it puts our spiritual, emotional, mental relation, even our our financial and our physical health at risk. And so the question that we bring to the text this morning is how do we learn to discern the seasons? 
And I think there's so much here for us to get into. So if you have a Bible or an app this morning, go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. Uh, We're going to look at verses 1 through 15. This is by far uh, the most well-known section in Ecclesiastes, Um, but I find that oftentimes the sections of Scripture that we think are the most well-known when it comes to interpretation and meaning are often just as confusing to us, that we don't understand them as well as we sometimes think. So today we're going to talk about discerning the seasons. And let me just start by kind of giving you the scope of these 15 verses. The teacher's going to start in verse 1, with a clear thesis statement. Then he's going to share a poem about the seasons of life. He's going to reflect on the poem, and then he's going to close out uh, our time this morning with his conclusions. And so let's start in verse 1 with uh, this thesis statement from the teacher. I would say it like this. Life is made up of seasons. Life is made up of seasons. Listen to how he starts. He says, There is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. Now, here's another way to state this. Life is never static. It's always changing. It's one of the things that is so uncomfortable about being a human and going through life. It's that it's never static, it's always changing. And so today, you might find yourself in one season, but tomorrow, you might find yourself in another. Sometimes our seasons in life change very gradually, And sometimes all it takes is a text or a phone call to change your season in a moment. I I remember one Saturday morning when my season of life changed in just a moment. It was 2007. Tammy and I had just woken up. And so I did what everyone does when they first wake up. I went to the bathroom to pee. Um, And uh, we're all adults. Like, we all pee. We can talk about that, okay? So halfway through, Tammy walks up to the bathroom and she says, I'm pregnant. And I got to tell you, that, it, it was a weird time to find out <laughs> that my wife was pregnant for the first time. I know some of you did these big buildups for your husband. There was like a whole show about it. I got mid-ping. I'm pregnant. That's what happened, okay? Now, I have to tell you, that's a strange way to receive the news because you have to finish. You start jumping up and down too soon. You've got a real mess on your hands, quite literally, actually. So... Too much? Okay. My point is just this. Those two words, that's all it took, those two words. Those two words changed my season of life in a moment. It wasn't just the two of us anymore. In that moment, we stopped being like just two kids who, it was just us. We became parents, and our season changed. And the point is that life is never static. It's always changing because it's made up of seasons. Now, Much of that, because we are so adverse to change so much of the time, much of that is very uncomfortable. But if you think about the fact that the seasons of our lives are always changing, that's actually really good news because that also means that no matter how hard your life feels right now, it's a season. It might feel like a really long season. It might feel like a Chicago winter kind of season. It might feel like Narnia, where it's always winter but never Christmas, but it is just a season, and seasons always change. And so next, the teacher shifts from prose to poetry in order to highlight the many seasons of life, reminding us of this, that life is filled with every kind of season. Life is filled with every kind of season. Listen to this poem. In verse 2, he says, a time 
to give birth and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to tear down and a time to build, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance, a time to throw stones and a time to gather stones, a time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing, a time to search and a time to count as lost, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. Now here is the most obvious factor that is present within this poem. Broadly speaking, there are two types of seasons that we go through in life, two kinds. One author uh, refers to them as seasons of disquiet and seasons of delight. I prefer the way that Ignatius described it. He talked about seasons of consolation and seasons of desolation. Now, this is important for us to understand because we see it here in the text and we experience it so much in life. And so I want you to just think about this with me. Consolation is any experience or a season that leads you closer to God. It's a season that brings you spiritual joy, increases your faith, your hope, and your love. Consolation can be characterized by feelings of peace and contentment and spiritual encouragement. It may involve a sense of clarity or resonance or alignment with God's presence, his purpose, his desires for your life. Consolation provides a sense of spiritual upliftment and can motivate individuals towards generous and selfless action. And desolation is the other side of that coin. Desolation is any experience or season that feels as though it's moving us away from God's presence. It diminishes our spiritual well-being. And desolation can manifest as feelings of sadness, anxiety, spiritual unrest, a lack of motivation or interest in spiritual matters. We all go through that where you're just like, I just don't really feel like I care about praying. I don't really care about being with God. We we go through seasons. That's a season of desolation. It might involve confusion, doubt, or a sense of spiritual dryness. Desolation can be characterized by a disconnection from God's love and can lead us to negative or to self-centered emotions and actions. And so I want you to notice in this poem how life is made up of both of these seasons, consolation and desolation. So notice again these seasons that, that he describes of consolation, a time to give birth, plant, heal, build, laugh, dance, gather, embrace, search, keep, sow, speak, love, seasons of peace. And in contrast, we also experience these seasons of desolation that he highlights. Seasons of death, uprooting, killing, tearing down, weeping, mourning, casting stones, avoiding embrace, losing, throwing away, tearing, silence, hating, and war. And as you look at these two things side by side, I want you to notice three things. The first is this. This is a poem that is filled with both literal and figurative language. I read a bunch of different commentary on this week. There are a number of, if you like read some of these things, you're like gathering stones. What does that mean? That's a great question that I'm here to tell you. No one knows the answer to. And I read tons of different guesses at that. So that's a challenge anytime we're interpreting any kind of poetry. Like it's very figurative language, so it can be very confusing. So if there's parts in this that you feel like, well, I don't totally understand what that means, welcome. So do a lot of people with PhDs, apparently. 
Second thing to note is that this language, and this is very important, not just here, but everywhere that we read scripture, this is an example of a text that is descriptive, not prescriptive. And so what that means is the teacher is saying that there are seasons, for instance, there are seasons of war in life. He's describing what does take place in this world. It isn't prescriptive in that he isn't saying that we should strive for all of these seasons in our life, that we should strive for seasons of killing. But killing takes place. War takes place. So it's descriptive, not prescriptive. And then maybe most importantly, thirdly, is this. Life is often a mixture of seasons, meaning that we tend to think in a very... Uh, separated way where we think like seasons are good or I'm in a bad season. And if you really pay attention to your experience, life is almost never that. Almost never do you have a season that is purely one of consolation or one that is purely one of desolation. It's usually a mixture of both. So we experience some measure of both consolation and desolation simultaneously. It is rarely an either-or, and we can learn to experience God in both of those. And so it's important that we learn to discern where God is and and how we can be with him in the midst of both of those seasons, because life is filled with every kind of season. And as he reflects on this reality, he also observes this. We don't always understand what God is doing in our season. Agreed? That's a great place for an amen, because I know that's something we can all resonate with. We do not always understand what God's doing in our season. Look at verse 9. He says, what does the worker gain from his struggles? So there's his kind of very negative, overarching point he keeps coming back to. Verse 10, I have seen the task that God has given to the children of Adam to keep them occupied. He has made everything appropriate in its time. Listen to this part. He has also put eternity in their hearts but no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. So when the teacher here says that God has put eternity in their hearts, what he's referring to is this longing that exists inside of all of us to understand God's plan. We all have that. We want to understand where God is and what he's doing, both in our own story, but also as we just kind of look at the overarching story of time. We look back on seasons and we're like, what was God doing there? And so we have that inside of us. This is why we reflect on the past and we think, man, why did God allow that to happen to me? It's why we look ahead and we wonder, what does God have for me in the future? And so by and large, we look at God's plan in the past or we wonder about God's plan in the future with this sense of confusion. We don't always understand because the teacher tells us no one can discover the work God has done from beginning to end. We simply don't always understand what God is doing. Now here's the thing. The more that you fixate on the specifics of God's plan, the more you will forfeit experiencing God in the present moment. The more that you, like I've seen this in my own life, I've seen this in so many people's lives where something is happening, something has happened, usually it's something painful, some experience of desolation, and it's like God is right there going, I'm with you, I wanna comfort you, I wanna help you, but we get so resistant because we go, no, 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 I need to understand. I can't let you help me until I understand. And the truth is, 
there's just so many things in your life you're never gonna understand. And the more that we fixate on I need to understand the, the specifics, the more we forfeit the reality that God is just simply present with us. You can't relate with God in your past. And you can't relate with God in your future. You can only relate with God in the present moment. And I firmly believe that one reason that our spiritual enemy wants our minds overwhelmed with the past or fixated on the future is because it robs us of relationship with God in the present. So there might be things that you can figure out about your past. There might be some things that you can discern in your future, but there's gonna be a lot of stuff that makes no sense to you. And I don't know why God works that way. To be honest, I barely care because it doesn't change what is. And I think sometimes there's this deep desire for control in us where we think, if I could just understand, then it gives me a sense of control. And God is always inviting us to a place of surrender trust because that's where relationship with him is formed. We simply don't always understand what God's doing, even in our present season. But notice, as we close this part of our text, that the teacher does draw this conclusion that God is worthy of awe in every season. God is worthy of awe in every season. Desolation, consolation, he is worthy of awe no matter what. Look at verse 12. It says, I know that there is nothing better for them than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It is also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. I know that everything God does will last forever. There is no adding to it or taking from it. God works so that people will be in awe of him. Whatever it is has already been, and whatever will be already is. However, God seeks justice for the persecuted. So just to summarize that right there, he's saying that God is going to accomplish his good plan, And because of that, we can learn to enjoy the simple good things that God gives us in life, and we can cultivate a sense of awe of him. Like, think about this. This gets lost in our difficult seasons, but how amazing is it that God is going to undo all desolation? So that right-hand side of the list with all of those like negative emotions, hard experiences, you know that Revelation 21 says there's a time coming when that whole right side is gone. God's going to undo that. How amazing is it that no matter how bleak things look, somehow, in some way, God's always accomplishing some part of his plan. How amazing that God somehow uses all things, even the most painful in our lives, and somehow he weaves them together in a way that work for the good of those who love him, Paul says in Romans 8, 28. God is worthy of awe in every season. Our challenge is learning to see why. Learning to find him in the midst of whatever season that we're in and to see how in the midst of this is God still worthy of awe. Because he is, but we have to see it. And so here's the way I would summarize our big idea this morning. When we misread our season, we miss out on God's transforming presence within it. When we misread our season we miss out on God's transforming presence within it. Listen, God is wherever you are right now. I think sometimes we think, man, if I could just be in a different season, 
if I could just get myself out of this season, then God's somehow like he's over there. He's, he's, uh, he's down the road somewhere. Like God is where you are right now. No matter the season, no matter your level of awareness of him, regardless about how you feel about it, God is where you are. And in order for us to experience him in the midst of it, we need to do some work to discern our season. And so I want to get practical here as we close. How do we move toward adopting the wisdom that's being conveyed here? Well, as is often the case, I think it starts with asking some good questions that open us up to fruitful answers. And so let me just close with four questions that will help us learn to discern our season, okay? The first question is the question of awareness. And that question is this, just simply, what season am I in? What season am I in? And that can be a very overwhelming question at face value. Because sometimes, and this is especially true in seasons of desolation, our system is so overwhelmed that we're just like, I'm bad. That's the best answer I could come up with. I'm in a bad season. And that's a great starting point, but it can be very, very overwhelming. And so I think that this text is a very helpful gift to us. And so I would invite you to sit with this poem this week. Because maybe you're in a season of new life. Or maybe you're in a season where something is dying. Maybe it's a season for you to plant and to build. Or maybe it's a season for you to uproot and deconstruct. Maybe it's a season of weeping and mourning. Or maybe laughing and dancing, and we need more of that, so that's okay too. Seasons are rarely a matter of right or wrong. And oftentimes, even thinking about seasons as good and bad is not ultimately the most helpful way to think about it. Again, every season typically is going to have some amount of both consolation and desolation, even if it's weighted more in one direction than another. And so what matters is really understanding your season. So what season do you find yourself in right now? Now, the second question is the question of discernment. Is this a season of consolation or desolation? By paying attention to the movements of our heart and our soul during different experiences, we can discern whether we are being led closer to God or whether it feels like we're being drawn further away. And discerning these states allows us to make informed choices to seek some spiritual direction in alignment with God's will. And so broadly speaking, again, life's always a mixture of both, but broadly speaking, is this season that you find yourself in right now, if you had to label it one way or another, is this a season of consolation or desolation for you? The third question is one of curiosity. How is God inviting me to respond to him in this season? How is God inviting me to respond? What would it look like for you to draw near and embrace the presence of God with you in this season? Maybe that means that the season that you're in demands more trust from you or more time or uh, more priority to something, giving more priority to something. But rather than resist it or again, try to wish it away, how might God be inviting you to respond to him in this season. I'm not, if you're in a really challenging, hard season right now, I'm not saying that responding to him rightly will make it go away, but at least you can experience him in the midst of it so you don't feel alone. And so how 
Is God inviting me to respond to him in this season? And then finally, the fourth question is the question of surrender. And this one's very important. Am I willing to embrace God's invitation? Am I willing to do that? Because sometimes we're not. So I would say that it's really great to identify the season you're in. It's important to discern how God's inviting you to respond. And that's all for nothing if you're simply unwilling to say yes to whatever he invites. See, the invitations of God are always good, but they are often deeply uncomfortable. So you might be in a season right now where God's inviting you to die to yourself in some way. Maybe he's inviting you to a painful forgiveness. Maybe he's inviting you to stand up and to advocate for yourself in a way that's uncomfortable for you. Regardless of what it might be, this is always our final question. Am I willing to embrace his invitation in this season? Because just knowing it, just being aware of it, does nothing of value for you if we are not willing to say yes. So it's crucial that we learn to discern our season because when we misread them, we inevitably end up missing out on God's transforming presence within them. And so let's continue to move toward discerning our seasons together. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you that you are always with us, that you are where we are. Lord, in the entirety of my life, I don't think there's ever, for me, felt like a more confusing time to be alive. There's so much coming at so many of us. And we have all been through so much. And it can be very hard to hear you, to see you, to feel you in the midst of all that. But you are where we are. And so, Lord, I pray that as we really give some time, hopefully, to this this week, really trying to discern where, where are we in life, where are you in the midst of that, how are you inviting us to respond, are we willing to say yes to whatever it is that you're inviting, Lord, as we spend time with that, would you just meet us there? Give us the wisdom and the discernment that we need. Give us the awareness and the clarity of thought that we need. Give us the motivation, the strength, the energy to embrace all that you invite. And Jesus, we thank you that you ultimately have made all of this possible. You gave your life so that we could be with you in every season of our lives. And so we thank you for that. And I pray, Lord, that you would help us to be able to find you more and more. And so, Lord, I, I just want to close by especially praying for anyone here right now that's really hurting, that's really struggling in some way and might feel alone in the midst of it, might even feel abandoned by you in the midst of it. And I just pray that somehow, in some way, Lord, you would help them to be aware of your presence with them. 
that just like when, when Jacob woke up from his dream in the Old Testament and said, surely God was in this place and I didn't know it. Lord, I pray that that would be the experience for all of us, that we would be able to see that you are always with us. So would you help us with all of this? In Jesus' name, amen.